This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. When I first interviewed Chandra Eidenberger in 2017, she was training on her own, playing pickup soccer with a group of guys on a weekly basis, and trying to find a team to call home. But when I caught up with her in the first part of 2018, things had changed. Now she is training and fighting for a spot on the roster of NWSL's Chicago Red Stars. And her updates and stories are very good for every American player, American coach, and American soccer enthusiast to hear. Because once again, Chandra walks listeners through what it's like to be a professional women's soccer player here in the United States. Not only is she fighting to earn a spot on the Red Stars roster, she is fighting to earn a paycheck. Because at the moment, her role as a training player doesn't come with anything except a chance to maybe get paid in the future. And Chandra has a lot to say, specifically about the lack of opportunities for female players after college. I went ahead and I ran some numbers. Chandra and I didn't talk about this in the podcast, but afterwards I I ran a a few numbers based off of some other podcast episodes or interviews I've done and came up with some shocking, shocking numbers. So there are a little over 1,000 women's NCAA soccer programs spanning from divisions one through three. And after those athletes graduate college, which is the traditional route that most female athletes, or sorry, most female American soccer players take, There are only nine professional American women's soccer teams available for them to attempt to play for. Nine. The United States has an estimated female population of 165 million, with roughly 20,000 female athletes playing on over 1,000 NCAA soccer rosters, and only nine professional teams. That means there are only about 180 paid contracts available in women's soccer here in America. And to add even more to that equation, not all of those 180 NWSL contracts are guaranteed to go to American players. So the number of female American players getting paid to play professional soccer in America is even more abysmal than you probably thought. In a nutshell, Chandra and I discussed how opportunities to play professional women's soccer are scarce and why competition for those spots are so fierce. And when Shandra and I first talked last year, I sort of bum-rushed her when I interviewed her uh, right after the U.S. men's national team got eliminated from World Cup qualifying. And (laughs) I don't think she had planned to talk about any of that. But uh, this episode was meant to be an update about where she is at now. But it turned into a great discussion about a lot of things revolving around women's soccer here in America that don't really get any airtime at all. And that is, again, another reason why I like to host this podcast, because we kind of give a voice to stories that really do not get told. And all of this is made possible because of your support as a member of the 343 Coaching Education Program, because that is what funds this podcast. So as much as I love and and super appreciate uh, everybody that listens, uh, extra appreciation and extra love for everybody that is part of that 343 coaching education program. So if you are a member in the coaching education program, not only are you getting an education that transforms you into a far better coach from the guys that have gone through that transformation themselves and are now considered among the top in the country, but you are helping to sustain and develop this podcast. If you are not a member and you are wondering what a 343 membership can offer you, it is the complete online resource that will help you reduce your trial and error time and help you get right to the work that matters. 
You can learn the cutting edge training techniques that have been proven to develop better and smarter players, better and smarter teams, and better and smarter coaches. The 343 Coaching Education Program gives you insider access to exclusive videos of training sessions and full games with additional education from ebooks, audio interviews, question and answer sessions, and online forums for networking and collaboration with other coaching members. To learn more and to explore all the benefits of being a 343 Coaching Education Program member and to help support this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 34 and 3, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. That was a long-winded intro. Intro, sorry. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Chandra Eidenberger. Perfect. Okay, cool. So... I have a I have a lot to kind of catch up on because the last time we talked you were in like a like a weird like limbo kind of transition period you didn't really yeah. have it have a team that you mm-hmm. were on and you were pursuing a couple different avenues and so coming into this interview I actually don't know where you're at right now what team you're playing for so maybe you can start with what's kind of transpired over the course of time since yeah. we last spoke Okay um, well, last time I spoke with you, I was in Green Bay, I was training, and like we mentioned before, I was currently on no team, um, and then I had met a guy, um, through one of my trainers that I work with in Green Bay, and he, his name is Steve Purdy, and some of you may recognize that name because he used to be an MLS star, he was with um, the Portland Tibbers for majority of his career, and then he was with FC Dallas, um, Chivas USA, uh, and then he was with the El Salvador national team. And I'm like, how is someone like this in Green Bay? You know, little old Green Bay. <laughs> and his, actually, his fiance is in Green Bay, so thank God to her. Um, that explains but I met it all. Him and. <laughs> Yes, that it, it all kind of shuts off from there. And he has been working with me ever since um, these past few months. And just, he's kind of inspired me to, um, he's inspired me with many different things, actually. But he mentioned, well, why don't you go to tryouts this year? And I was kind of hesitant on going, um, just being, uh, you know, I know how they work and, you know, sometimes clubs will host tryouts and they don't even have to take anyone or their roster may be full or they they may be set with the amount of people they want to bring into preseason. So it's more of like a moneymaker for the club. And sometimes clubs are actually looking for players and they might take a few people from tryouts. So, um, you know, he's like, well, definitely let's aim for, you know, rosters that we think we can crack and you know locations that are close to us so the number one on the list was obviously chicago being that only like three hours away from green bay and then we had a few others in mind and i went to chicago's tryout and had a very good showing and i got invited into their preseason so what can happen from there is when they invite you into preseason you 
um, there's a few different things that can happen. You can either, uh, they can offer you a contract or they can, you know, put you on the reserve team or they can kind of keep you like as a practice player that if, you know, something were to happen with a contracted player or someone were to get injured or, you know, when the national team players leave, they can pull you up and pay you per game or per month. Um, so there's a lot of different scenarios that can happen. And so right now I, we just finished preseason and we, this weekend we start our um, home opener versus Portland, which is actually my old club. Um, so right now I am considered like a practice player. So I don't have a contract, but I think I'm in a great spot. I'm in a great place because, you know, if something happens, to one of the contracted players or, you know, like I said before, the national team players leave, they can, they can pull some of um, the practice players. They can suit us up or, you know, we can even see the field. So I think it's a good position to be in because I'm in this environment. I'm in this network. I'm getting more comfortable with this speed of play and I'm only growing and getting better day in and day out. And I think it's a very hard it's a hard league to be in, and I'm so grateful that I'm one of those players that are here. Because if you look at how many um, how many female soccer players that play Division One college throughout the U.S., and then you look at there are only nine NWSL teams, and out of those nine teams, there's only 20 contracted spots. So do the math there and you look at how many girls that, you know, make a practice squad or make, make a roster spot. That's not, you know, that's, that's a very small margin compared to how many, you know, play competitive college soccer or play, you know, at, you know, the semi-pro level. So to be amongst that, um, that elite category is you're sitting in a good spot, whether you have a contract or whether you don't, because every day is kind of like a tryout and I have nothing to lose. So every day I'm fighting, you know, trying to get a spot. And even if I were to get a contract, it still doesn't end there. You know, you're always still working to, to become a better player, whether you have a contract or whether you don't. So, um, of course, you know, it, it'd be nice to get paid, but I still think this is the second best option being here and, you know, fighting for, fighting for a spot because I'm only getting better. Man, there's, there's so many things that you just touched on that I think we could dive like (laughs) way deeper, way deeper into, but what one thing that you just mentioned is that right now, right now it sounds like you're, you're not a paid player. And and you mentioned just a few minutes ago that you mentioned a few minutes ago that you usually go to work after practice. So how does this work out for you now that you have, you know, a two to three hour training session during the day, and then you have to basically find either a morning or a night job. It sounds like, how are you balancing that? Um, well, I, another job that I do that I actually did back at home is I would coach like private sessions. So private sessions consisting of one, two, three, sometimes four players. And that, those, um, I mean, those seem uh, very easy to me because it's something like I'm still, um, I mean, still involved with soccer and it's, you know, like second nature. I love the game. I love playing, but I also love helping others and to be able to coach is, I think, something I want to do later on after my career. So 
getting, you know, getting my feet wet with that now, I think will only help me for later. So that's one thing that I do for, for extra money. And then the second is I actually work at a, um, like at a local like soccer store. So really like I'm still like soccer is still (laughs) kind of like my number one priority. So I'm either coaching, I'm playing or I'm working at a store that provides soccer gear. So (laughs) eat, breathe, sleep, soccer. Um, the, the job, the soccer store that I work at, they have very, very flexible hours and, um, they actually had a few other Red Stars players that have gone through and worked there. So they know our schedule and they understand it very well. So I think that's really helped because during that like 12 to three o'clock period, that's kind of, you know, that's, that's my time to work. That's my job. That's my main job. That's my main focus. And then, you know, during later in the day, you know, there's so much downtime. So, you know, if I'm not getting paid, you know, I, I need to be working. I need to be doing something. So here I get a job where I'm around soccer. I can watch soccer while I'm at work or I'm either coaching and, you know, developing the youth and helping girls locally around here who are in high school. And we're also wanting to pursue their dreams in soccer, whether that's going to college or you know, playing after college and being, you know, having someone who's been there and who knows what it's like, I think that's beneficial for them because they see, you know, they see someone where they want to be. And to say that you're a red star, I think that, you know, that really sparks, sparks a light in them and inspires them. So I think um, working with them is, is, has been really fun for me. One thing that comes to mind when you're when you were telling that the story of how many division 1 and division 2 and division 3 and NAIA college soccer players there are that get kind of funneled into this very very um minimal uh system there's there I mean like you said there's nine teams each team can roster 20 players or contract 20 players and uh, it, it's just, it's not very mm-hmm. much that's out there. And what that reminded me of was actually kind of like the, maybe like the nineties for the men's national team and, and MLS at the mm-hmm. time when there was only like six teams and then eight teams. And, and yeah. those guys, that was really, we've talked about it before me and, and Gary, the owner of three, four, three, which I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware who he is, but, um, Gary and I mm-hmm. have talked about it before where that was really the last time that the men's national team had a true identity when all those guys had like this grittiness to them and, and this hardworking, uh, this, this, like this idea that they had to fight like tooth and nail just to survive as players. And that kind of disappeared for the men's national team throughout the two thousands and even more so lately like that, that that fight that mm-hmm. they've had inside of them. And I think that was probably common for mm-hmm. the women's side of the game in the early nineties. And then maybe that disappeared through the two thousands or so. And, and, but the, the scenario that you're describing of you having to go to practice and you know, you're a practice player, but you're chomping at the bit to get on the field and there's only nine teams and, and 20 spots on each team. It's like, you guys are really, you know, that, that, that's a very competitive environment to be in. It's not an ideal environment, but it's right. certainly competitive. Um, and I, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. I'm wondering how, or if you and the other players talk about that at all, and you guys discuss, you know, the struggle that you guys are going through while you guys are going through it together. Yeah, I think it's definitely, um, 
it's a big topic of discussion, and I think, you know, we're we're getting more used to, you know, where we kind of stand on the totem pole with regards to that. Um, but I, I just think it, it, um, it shows, it shows our character, you know, that we, um, not, I mean, it's, and that kind of also brings a, a different topic, how, you know, we are issued, you know, as female athletes, but really it, sh- it shouldn't be, you know, a difference between male and female. It should just be considered, you know, we are athletes and that there's no, there's no, um, there should be no gender gap between us and that we both, I mean, granted our physical um, appearance is very different, but what we do day in and day out is all relatively the same, you know, we both wake up, we both go to work, we both train, we both leave, you know, our, our families, you know, back at home or we're having to, to travel to a different location and start somewhere new. We have jobs on the side. We all do the same thing. And, um, you know, to have like limited clubs or, um, you know, with the, the pay gap being so different, it's, it's very difficult, um, but I think, you know, the more, you know, women's soccer grows, I think, and the more fans we get, I think that will um, it will help grow the game, and then soon we'll be able to get, we'll be get, we'll be able to get paid a little bit more, but I think it all comes down to the interest, and unfortunately, women's soccer doesn't have as high of an interest as men, but I think once people see um, how how, you know, how we perform and how we can entertain people and how we, you know, we fight and compete and, you know, we can, we can attract more people to, to watch us. And I think it's, it's been getting better, um, but there's still obviously room to grow. But I think, you know, with the, there's been talk of three new expansion teams coming to the, to the league next year in 2019. And, you know, with the Women's World Cup already coming back around again, I think that'll be a big growing year. And I think women's soccer will definitely um, will definitely become better. One thing that I think is for sure is that there's plenty of, of talented players out there that are willing mm-hmm. to, to play and they just don't have a home to play right now. So they don't, they, they're, the teams don't exist and yeah. for whatever reason, right? So whether it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. the, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the, with the league standards uh, at the moment for NWSL and what it actually takes to start an NWSL team. I'm not, I'm not too well versed right. in, in the lower divisions of women's professional soccer. I, I don't, I, I, this sounds, mm-hmm. this is super embarrassing to say this out loud, but I don't know if there is a division two for women's soccer. I am only right now aware of NWSL and I don't know what is, is directly below that. And so maybe, maybe you can inform me, is there a division two, division three, kind of like they have on the men's side and and what does that structure look like? There is. And what's interesting about that is, so the NWSL is the the tier one. That's the only professional league for women to play in in the U S and obviously there's only nine clubs. So what is the, becomes the second tier is uh, the UWS, 
which is the league that I was in this past summer in 2017. Um, that league has, I want to say, I can't remember how many teams, but it's more than the NWSL. Um, so there's the UWS and then there's WPSL. WPSL is Women's Premier Soccer League. And the WPSL and the UWS are both like the tier two of the second division, both considered semi-pro. They don't get paid. But there actually is a lot of clubs um, that range in both of those semi-pro leagues. But I think what is kind of the trend for the NWSL teams is to pair with an MLS team. So, for example, Chicago Red Stars, we play at the same field as the Chicago Fire. We train at the same location as the Chicago Fire. So when we have games, the Chicago Fire sees, oh, you know, what is Chicago Red Stars? Well, they're the women's professional soccer team. Or Orlando, Orlando Pride has Orlando City. Houston Dash, Houston Dynamo, Portland Thorns, Portland Timbers, you know, Utah Royals, um, uh, Real Salt Lake. So they have a lot of those clubs are pairing with the MLS team to kind of bond together and, you know, support one another. So, you know, as the women, we support the men and, you know, obviously the men support the women. And I think that helps the fans too because they see, they're able to see both. And I think they're, you know, they hear about the women's side, they're like, oh, maybe we should check them out and they come to a game. So I think it's ideal for the NWSL teams to pair with the MLS. And I think it allows the organization as a whole and the city as a whole to grow together and to spread the word of soccer. So um, I think, you know, having, having that is definitely beneficial for us. But it's also hard, too, because a lot of men's teams are not kind of wanting to share their facility with the women's side, but I think at the end of the day, it just helps. It helps both of us, you know, it allows them to get more fans, allows us to get more fans. So um, that's kind of been the trend. Yeah, it makes it makes complete sense to me, and I look at it from my time of uh, or my time as a high school soccer coach where. You know the JV team played before the varsity team, and I'm so on. Uh, when I coached boys soccer, the JV team would play at like three thirty in the afternoon, and the varsity team would play at five thirty, and that that made complete Correct. sense to me. Yep. Like, and 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 at the mm-hmm. same time, the girls would be playing at the other team's stadium, so like the girls would play away, the boys would play home, and it made complete sense to me. And then at some point, the league decided to change, and then they started to alternate. Uh, boys and girls varsities playing together and the JV teams playing together. So like the boys team would play at three thirty one time and the girls team would play at five thirty, and then the next time they would alternate. So the boys would play late game girls would play the early game. Right. And, and to me it made sense. And so this is like six, seven years ago when I was thinking about this, that it, mm-hmm. it was completely absurd to me that no major league soccer teams had female programs because when you look at the rest of the world, most of the teams in Europe have female programs. When I went to study at, uh, exactly. When I went to study in Barcelona, one of the teams I actually got to observe was the Barcelona women's team. And 
it was it was an amazing oh, experience wow. and i got i got a chance to not only see the women's team train but i saw uh the the men's u23s i think i saw the men's u19s and i got to see the boys like u10s and u12s so it was just it was awesome to see everybody kind of mm-hmm. all on one field and everybody sharing the same methodology and and sharing the same training space and supporting mm-hmm. all supporting each other like you said it's really amazing, and and, and that approach right. ha- hasn't been put into effect yet here in the United States, which is, I think, in large part due to the system and the way that MLS and, and U.S. soccer and NWSL are trying to do things, which is like this franchise-based model, and everybody's kind of on their own, and um, there's different rules and regulations than in, in the rest of the world and, and things like that, but I would love to see somebody take that approach of just kind of bringing everybody under one roof and and building a a complete community-based grassroots club from age eight to senior level on the men's and the women's side together that would be amazing it's ideal right but um Mm -hmm. i'm not aware of anybody at the moment that is that is attempting to do that so maybe 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 i'm wrong i don't know are there teams that are doing that no i i no i i completely agree with that i can fully attest to that and i you know, I hear of how things, you know, are run here and compared to how they how they grow in Europe. And, for example, like on the men's side, they have, for example, Manchester United. And then they have, like, their youth academies, but it's all, they're all labeled as Manchester United. So they actually have sessions where, like, the little boys are eating lunch with the main team. So they're able to see you know, where, like how high they can go and, you know, are inspired by some of those main team players. So then, you know, you have maybe like your U10 Manchester United, U12, you know, U14, 16, 18, the U21, maybe U23, and then you have your main team. So it's, it, there's a full range of ages within that entire club. That's why their club is so big and so well known. But because of, you know, how they have, how they have things run over there is so different compared to here. And I think they're able to keep more, more players interested, especially with that club because of what they're offering and what system that they're buying into. I know um, France does something very similar with both their men's and their women's program. I think it's called Claire Fontaine and it's just this, um, this, area where there's like these castles and these like all these different training fields and when they're younger they stay there but they also like it's it it just kind of reminds me of like a large like campus except it's not school it's just for soccer they eat sleep live there basically and you know they wake up they go to training and then they you know go back to their dorm or their castle so to speak wherever they're staying in and it's they do that for the men and the women side and i read a a small uh documentary or book about that and it was very interesting it's like i've never heard of anyone in the u.s doing that here but i mean if we could get more areas like that in the u.s kind of following that that mindset and that that idea i think soccer can really become something great here and not that it not that it isn't but i think we are very different compared to Europe. And I think, 
what's interesting is I don't know how our, our women's team is ranked number one, but then our men's team isn't. But you would, both, both our men and our women kind of, we run the same idea of how we, we grow here in America. So um, it's interesting, but I think if, if it, we did something like they did in Europe, um, I think soccer could definitely grow even more than what it has. Well, I don't know if you're if you're worried, but I'm worried about the rest of the world catching up on the women's side of the game to to the United yeah. States. We've historically been number one for mm-hmm. you know the better part of oh man, like three decades almost now, and or two de- yeah. two and a half decades. And so I I'm personally worried that the rest of the world is is going to catch up quickly, or if if they haven't already, and. Mm-hmm. We are now right. we are now facing serious serious challenges on that side, and and you know it's it's not too far fetched to think that we could potentially be ranked number six, seven, eight, you know, in the next few years if we don't continue to progress right. in in the ways that we're kind of mm-hmm. discussing right now. And one of the things that that you mentioned were the the teams that kind of house their players and from a young age and they're they're around the first team from the time that they're eight years old and that is a very European way of doing things or I don't I don't necessarily want to limit it mm-hmm. to Europe because I think other uh, other parts of the world surely do this but we right. do we do mm-hmm. have programs like that here in the United States but they're so they're, I think off the top of my head I can think of three. And one of them is now closed. So Bradenton in Florida, that was where like the U.S. national team kind of housed its up and coming stars okay. for for quite a while. Uh, L.A. Galaxy now has a high school where the kids go and and they're able to go to school in the morning and train and train throughout the day and and get oh, everything wow. all in all in one spot. And then Real Salt mm-hmm. Lake had their spot out in Arizona. And outside of those three. I can't think of very many other places that we have that in the United States, but the the thing is, is that we think of those three things as huge accomplishments here in the United States. Like, okay, cool. Like, see, we're doing the right thing, but that's three, right. that's, that's three soccer specific schools basically out of 50 States and out of 350 million people. That's, that's a, a, yeah. Less, that's point zero 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 into infinity point one whatever right it's it's a drop in the bucket right and, and so right. that's not too much to boast about yeah <laughs> no not at all it's 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 something if anything it, it we need to just put the pedal to the metal and start developing these things left and right all over the place and yeah it just it kind of goes back to what what you were saying is, is that when you have those opportunities for these kids you know, starting at age eight to kind of see what, what the dream really could turn into by being around those first team players all the time. It, that's a game changer that, that completely changes everything for that, oh, that yeah. kid and for that system and for that country. It's, it's completely different. Have you, have you ever had that experience, uh, where, where you kind of, I guess maybe now would be a, a, a good experience too, but have you ever had that before where it's like you saw what the end of the tunnel could look like you saw the light at the end of the tunnel and that was your your big motivation um live no um i only saw it uh on tv unfortunately um just you know watching watching the national team play that's kind of always been my my number one and then 
really not until the very first time, you know, did I make my professional like debut with Portland did that was kind of more my first time, you know, playing with other professional and, you know, playing with other national team players. And that was at the age of 22, 23. So all, you know, the early 23 years, I've never experienced that live and got to, you know, kind of see where, where I could end up. It was only through, through TV. And even back then, you know, the national team, they didn't really, they didn't really put that on TV. They didn't put a lot of their games on TV. It wasn't as broadcasted. It wasn't as put out on social media as it is now. You know, now when you hear the national team playing, you know, you can watch it on Fox Sports, ESPN. You know, you can watch the playback or you can download download certain apps or you have Twitter, you have Instagram, you have Facebook, you have, you know, three different high platforms of social media to hear about it. So if, you know, you do miss it, you can turn it on. Where back then, you know, you didn't really hear about it. And if maybe you were scrolling through the channels and, oh, so women's soccer, I mean, it was, you know, once in a blue moon. So even back then, I wasn't able to to even watch them play, but that was kind of my number one thing where I saw like, okay, this is this is where I would want to be. And for people that are listening to this without listening to our other episode, you you grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. right? Correct. So, even still to this day, you said that you had to drive from Green Bay three hours to Chicago and that was the nearest place where you felt like you could even have a chance at playing high level soccer. Was that right? Correct. Yep. Chicago in the NWSL is the closest NWSL team to my hometown. Yeah. And do you think that's because there's a lack of interest in Wisconsin and in soccer in general, because there's not a men's team anywhere in sight out there either. Right. Correct. I think, um, yeah, like Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, we're more known for football, hockey, basketball, you know, majority of the the indoor sports. And, um, yeah, especially hockey, I feel like, just because it's, you know, it's very cold. But, I mean, um, I, I think the Midwest in general is also an area where soccer does not strive compared to the West or the East coast or maybe Texas or Florida. Um, so it's very hard to, to find other people that are, that are interested in soccer to even start it at a younger age because, you know, it's, it's hard with the, it's hard with the climate. It's hard with the field to keep them in a certain shape. So you're kind of forced to go indoor and, you know, having an indoor turf facility is definitely not cheap. So I think that's where it loses a lot of interest. And I know the MLS team, Minnesota United, being in Minnesota, I think that's like one of the first, yeah, that is the first professional men's team in Minnesota. So I don't know if Wisconsin could ever get a professional men's team, just being that, you know, Green Bay is known for its Packers, so it's very hard to compete with that. Um, Milwaukee, you got the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Madison, or the Brewers as well. Madison, known for the Badgers, so it's very, there's still, I don't know if soccer would strive there just because of the interest 
is is simply not there. So Chicago, I mean, granted, where there's other professional teams, but I think having the fire there has definitely helped the women's side. I'm super curious what the what the population in Green Bay is because the the requirements to have a professional team are largely based on uh, your your market population. So does Green Bay mm-hmm. I would I would be curious if Green Bay even qualifies. Do you know the population in Green Bay? Roughly? Oh, off the top of off the top of my head I do not, but I I have a feeling we probably wouldn't qualify. Um, just and I know there some people would uh, had talks about, you know, could there ever be, you know, a chance where the national team, either men's or women's, could ever play at Lambeau Field. But according, I can't remember who told me this, but Lambeau Field, they don't even have the field requirements to play, like, a, a full field. I don't think Lambeau is wide enough. So we couldn't even bring, you know, like a – a professional team there to play just because the field is simply not big enough. Yeah, exactly. No. And, and that, that brings up something interesting that I interviewed the Jacksonville Armada owner. So they're a team in Florida and he is Mm -hmm. trying to finance a stadium. I think he's trying to build a stadium or expand a stadium at the, at this moment. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to make sure that the stadium can be, expanded as needed so that way you're not locked into something like lambo like some lambo was probably built when like the stone age and when they when they designed it back then yeah of course they probably just needed Mm -hmm. a football field right but now what the stadiums the stadiums that they're trying to build it's more of or this guy robert palmer's idea is to build festival style stadiums that can be you know broken down if needed to they can be moved if they need to they can expand they can collapse they can do all kinds of fun stuff right and so Mm-hmm. That is something that is going to be very powerful for smaller markets that want to, you know, start maybe a division three or a division two team. And they're looking to build or, or, right. you know, finance a stadium through maybe the city or the County and, and these modular type stadiums, these, these festival style stadiums are so much more cheaper and can be used for multiple things that you don't need to be locked into something like, Oh yeah. All we have is Lambeau field. I'm saying like, it's a bad thing, right? Like Lambeau field's historic, of course, but like, Oh, all we have is Lambeau (laughs) field. (laughs) All we have is Lambeau field. So we can't, we can't do anything for soccer here because you know, this is all we have. And I, I I think the future of stadiums is, is going to be moving away from that type of style. Hopefully I I hope, hope, hope that we do. Yeah, I think, you know, with Minnesota United, I think they that was a good idea that they have that, that stadium. The Vikings can play there. Minnesota United can play there. So it's accessible to both. And similar to with, you know, Atlanta, Atlanta FC, you know, the Falcons play there. Atlanta plays there. So it's nice that they can they can use that facility for both and also national teams can play there so if you know they're both out of town and a national team needs to come in and that way it allows soccer to grow even more because the national team can play at those at those venues and you know attract more people to to watch soccer yeah of course Chandra what what are your 
biggest goals or what, what do you have, what do you have set? What goals do you have set for yourself now that you are on this practice squad and the season just kicked off, I think last weekend, um, what, what are your goals looking forward for the rest of the season? So I break them down into uh, short-term goals and long-term goals. So a few of my short-term goals right now would be to, to, to be seated up for a game. That's kind of a small short-term goal um, is to be seated up for a game. The next would be to, you know, to get playing time, to not only just sit on the bench, but to also see the field. And then relatively that kind of that kind of rolls out into like the next one. So not only am I seeing the field, am I becoming uh, you know, a 30, 40 minute player, or am I the player that can grow into like a 60 minute player? And then ideally a player that can play 90 minutes. And if I am able to play 90 minutes, how consecutively can I be a 90 minute player? Am I, you know, do I crack the starting lineup? Am I consecutively cracking the starting lineup? So kind of, they grow bigger and bigger. And then obviously like a long-term goal would be to, to be, you know, amongst the elite players in the NWSL, not to just be, you know, somebody that just plays soccer in the NWSL. I want to be, you know, um, a well-known name. And then obviously to make, if I'm a well-known name in the NWSL, I think that would open the door to make a, to make a national team roster. So, they start out very small, very simple, and then they get bigger and bigger. So it's always, you got to keep the long-term goals in mind, but also you can't let them, can't let them phase. You can't let them scare you because they are big goals, but I think you just got to keep it simple. And I think when you start focusing on the small things, they'll start to come and you'll be conquering each one as they go. And then pretty soon you're, you're into the, the bigger goals that I want to achieve. So, you know, I focus even on little things that, um, little short-term goals that are like day-to-day things. So for me as a, as a forward would be, you know, don't lose the ball in a bad area or connecting passes or keeping my crosses in, or if I have chances in front of net, making sure that I'm always finishing them. So I have like little short-term goals like that. And, you know, having consecutive practices, not, you know, having the coaches ask, like oh is, am I going to see this type of player today or am I going to see that type of player so um, as of right now the short term goal is to be you know having consecutive practices you know sh- showing up ready to play you know showing the coaches that you know even though I don't have a contract that I'm, I would want you to consider me as a player that you can that you can pull up and that I can suit in for a game or that I can see the field and that I will you know match the intensity that the players have already set. So as of right now, that's what I'm, that's what I focus on. And sometimes it's, it's hard to not overthink things because it's such a, such a mental game, you know, even in practice and even outside practice, it's such a mental game that not many people realize. But I think the main thing is just to stay positive and to, to enjoy it really because, you look at how many girls who wish they could be here and it's it's kind of a humbling feeling. So I, I just gotta take each day one at a time and focus focus on what I need to accomplish on that day and keep positive and then move to the next because you know, once you 
start to plant that negative seed or, you know, something bad happens, it spreads like wildfire. So, you know, staying positive and, you know, keeping those long-term, long-term goals in mind, but, you know, focusing on the short-term runs and then the next thing will come. Of course. I love, I love that you brought that up specifically because I'm currently re-listening for the third time to a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And the chapter I just mm-hmm. finished basically is, is talking about exactly what you just said. This, you, you need to, you need to set long-term goals, but you, you can't mm-hmm. let, you can't let that scare you away from doing some things in the short term, but you also can't let short term failures distract you from your, your long-term goals. So it's like you, you need short and long-term goals and you need to find a way to balance both of those. But it, what what you're what you're exactly. doing is basically exactly what Ryan Holiday kind of laid out in his book. So if you haven't read that, I would I would highly highly recommend it. It's it's a super good audio book actually. Oh, I would love to. So the obstacle yeah, is that's, the way. Yeah, that's another thing that. Oh, exactly. Um, that's another thing that uh, Steve and I discuss. Um, it's kind of like the psychological part of it, and you know that you shouldn't. I think the majority of my career, I was, um, I was afraid of failing and how I saw failure is that, you know, if I didn't make it, um, if I didn't reach the goals I wanted to reach in soccer, that I consider that I failed. And I think I, I want those dreams so much that not only do they scare me, but I'm also afraid of not accomplishing them. And I think, that's uh, it's a tricky mindset to be in. And I think that's where, like I had to reiterate back as what I said before, is just to focus on the short-term goals. Because, you know, like I said, if you, if you start to overthink things, you can, you can also run into some trouble there with that. And it's good to be inspired and very driven by where you want to be. But also, you know, keeping the right balance. Life's all they always say life is always about balance and that's that's so true because you know if you if you start to tip one way then then the other side is going to lack or vice versa so you know keeping those those short-term goals you know you're kind of your your first priority and not not being afraid of fail failure that's a, another thing that our coach at Chicago here is that he instills in us is not to be afraid of failure because Failure is what helps, you know, winners become successful. And it's, it's how, what you do with that failure. You know, are you going to quit or are you going to keep, are you going to keep trying and are you going to turn that failure into success and what you do with it? So I think, um, and, and that's another thing that separates, you know, college players from professionals and from good professionals and great professionals is, you know, what, what they do with failure and they're, they're not afraid of it. That's, that's awesome. I'm actually, I'm typing, I'm typing down your quotes as you're saying them. Cause I'm going to use this in the, <laughs> in the written portion of it. <laughs> that was good stuff. Um, that's good. Hey, I'm, I'm wondering, do you think that that's, I, I think you said his name was Steve. Do you think Steve would be down to come on the podcast? He would love to, he would love to. I know, um, his story uh, regarding, you know, he, we we both have a very uh, similar mental aspect in how we look at the game and kind of dealt with some similar mental 
mental roadblocks. And I know with his story and how um, how he started and where he ended up, and you know how he got to to represent his country, you know it's it's very inspiring. I know he would love to share his story with whoever is willing to listen because <laughs> I first met him and when we got to talking. I mean, I was it's been a blessing to have met him and it's been a blessing to work with him and his story is amazing. Oh, I'd, I'd love for you to, uh, to connect us. And then I'd also love to get another update. I'd like to get another update from you in the next, I don't know, three, four months to kind of check in and just see where you're at and where you're at with all your goals and and how the season's going. Yeah, definitely. I would be, I would love to. All right, cool. So let's check in again in like, yeah, like three months. We'll we'll, we'll stay in contact. We I think we're on Instagram and Facebook together now, so we uh, we can keep tabs yeah. on each other. Yeah, that'd be All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And thank you to Shandra for coming back on the show and for sharing updates and stories about what life is like as a professional woman soccer player trying to make it in this really, really uh, interesting landscape that we have here in the United States. Uh, I really appreciate her coming on the show and just opening up, being honest. And that is exactly what this podcast is all about. And if you would like to help support this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 34 and 3, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. And that's where you can find all of the benefits about being a 343 Coaching Education member. And here is our friend Tom Beyer talking about his experience taking one of our online courses. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student and as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what you're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop um, not just you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. To learn more about that program that Tom is talking about, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 34 and 3, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. Thank you again for listening to this episode, and we look forward to having you back again in the future. All right. Until next time. See ya.